phrased in a different way. I am standing before a group of people who have the potential and the power to do something incredibly significant for God. Incredibly significant. There is huge potential in the people of God who have gathered in this place to impact the world for Jesus Christ. More than any of us can imagine and know. A group of people who have come to faith in Jesus, a, people, a group of people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit of God, a group of people who are then filled by the Spirit of God and who are empowered to do something remarkable for God. Now, a lot of people have been in the church long enough to know, what are you talking about? That would be the thought. But this is the intention. We talked last week and from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, and you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Power. And that's the biblical reality. Now, sometimes I wonder if every person who called this place home, if every person who knew Christ, and I don't mean just knew about him, but knew Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, had that relationship with Jesus, they stepped into this thing by faith. If every single one of us who knew Christ by faith in this church served according to their giftedness, to what degree would the impact of this church increase? Would it double? Would it triple? Would it be 10 times more than what it is at the moment? I'm not saying it's insignificant, but it would, be 10, would it be 20 times more? And of course, I can't answer that question, but I'm pretty sure it's closer to 20 times more than two times more. I really am. Because God has designed his church and given us his spirit with the entire intention that we would be powerful for him, every one of us individually and us corporately to change this world, to bring the kingdom of God as Jesus spoke about so many times. There's a flying in the ointment. I don't know where that little phrase came from, but it, it communicates, doesn't it? You know, a wrench in the works, you know, there are a whole bunch of them. And the, the wrench in the works, the fly in the ointment, is that sometimes people don't want that. You know, they just, they just don't want it. And, and as a result, they never see God work through them. They never see the potential for God working in them powerfully realized in the way that it could happen. Where are you at in that? Every person here who claims faith in Jesus, where are you in that? Is it happening? Has it happened? Will it ever happen? This brings us, of course, back to our primary text for this two-part series, and this is the second today of, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, where we studied last week Paul's words to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Don't leave that coal in the fire just smoldering without bursting into flame. Don't let that happen. You know, don't, don't leave your gifting, the thing that God has enabled you to do through which his power will flow, don't leave it dormant and unattended. Fan it into flame. Use the gift in a, in a way that God will work powerfully through you. And it's God working through us. It's not us who are powerful. It is he who is in us accomplishing his purposes. And the reality of the situation in which Paul writes to Timothy, this book, 2 Timothy, or this letter, essentially, is that Timothy's in this conflicted scenario. There are, are the opponents of Paul in the church, which Paul has established Timothy as the pastor of, lucky guy that he is. And it's a, tough, it's a tough situation that he's called to. These people are false teachers. They are opposing the truth of God that Paul has taught from the Old Testament. That was their scripture in that day. 
You know, I, I mentioned last week that they're teaching people that, that they have to, you know, observe Jewish dietary laws. In other words, hold on to your Jewishness in order to be, to follow Jesus faithfully. And you think, well, what's the big deal? So what do they eat? Who cares? Well, here's the big deal. In, in, in the Jewish mind, there were so many laws that had to be obeyed in order to find righteousness in Christ. Uh, sorry, to find righteousness. And then Christians came along and said, well, we have faith in Jesus, but we still have to do these things in order to be saved. And these people literally are perverting, if you would, corrupting the gospel message that salvation comes only through faith in Jesus. This is a big deal. They're, they're approving immorality in the church, denying that marriage is necessary, etc., etc. You see, they're not believing the truth, and they're leading the people of God in a direction that is away from the truth of God, not toward it and toward him. So Paul has established this faithful young pastor in this church. And what Timothy needs and what this church desperately needs is for Timothy to stand up and to preach the truth of God in the face of these other arguments that are confusing people and keeping them potentially from salvation. But there's a problem. As the text we'll read in a minute, it's one verse today, as it says, he is both timid and afraid. Can you relate anybody to that? To do what God's called you to do? He's, he is timid and he is afraid. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this. It falls immediately after the previous verse we studied last week. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now to that young guy, that must have been quite a powerful statement. God has not given you this spirit of fear or timidity, you know, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. You know, he, he's reluctant to serve, but the mentor, the apostle, the church authority is speaking into his life the word of God. You know, the biggest reason in my experience why people don't step out in, 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 in ministry, why they don't engage gifts so that God works powerfully through them, so that they don't actually end up exercising the power of God in their life is fear. Oh, I'm afraid that, I, you know, I can't. I can't accomplish what you're asking me to do, God. You know, what have I failed? I mean, if I stepped out and I did it and I failed, what would people think of me? They would mock me. They'd laugh at me. They'd look down upon me. And that terrifies a lot of people. Oh, I don't know the Bible well enough. You know, the challenge is too big. And on and on and on it goes. All in the misbelief, actually believing the lie that it's just they on their own who have to exercise this ministry, when in fact the reality is, as we talked about last week, God works in and through us. It's God who accomplishes the task, not us. It's his spirit who moves in power. We're not powerful. But that's the fear that somehow it's going to turn, go south and it's, it's going to be embarrassing and they're going to fail and it's never going to work. I want you to hear today, this is so incredibly important to hear, faith is not of, fear is not of God. I don't know if you've ever felt fear in, the, in, in any context. <laughs> um, but it's not of God. God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, the text says. Let me read to you uh, 1 John 4, 18. Really well-known verse, a beautiful verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I can stop right there because enough has been said. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives fear out of our lives so that it is no more. It just isn't there. 
My friends, to let fear determine what we do in this way or in any area of life is to let the enemy win because fear does not come from God. It comes from evil. And God's word today says to all of us, don't let fear keep you from being and doing what God desires. Can you think of fear like a chain which is wrapped around us time and time and time again and keeps us bound? keeps us from doing, breaking free, and doing what God has called us to, doing what God has gifted us to do, doing what God intends to accomplish through us. You know, don't let that chain exist and hold you back and keeping, keep you from exercising your gift through which God, by his spirit, will move in a mighty powerful way to accomplish significant things in this world. I don't know whether you have bought into what I'm saying yet. I hope you are, but you can be powerful for God. You can make an impact for God that's beyond your understanding. God can use you when you serve according to your gifts to bring the kingdom of God in this world. But fear potentially will hold you back. And what, what this text does, what Paul does in this, in this context is come along and he says there are three things that God has given us a spirit of and they're all contrary and opposite to the spirit of fear. And we're simply going to march through them today. The first is this, God has given you the spirit of power but of power. And we talked about this last week, and I have quoted to you already first, the first chapter of Acts, verse 8, when it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That is to be the intention. That is to be the norm. That is to be our experience. We need to be saved. We need to have the Spirit of God enter into our lives. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God in an ongoing way. And it is in that place, understand, and I'm going to say it again, it is not our power that is effective for God. It is God's power which operates through us according to the gifts that he has given. He becomes powerful in us, establishing his kingdom. You know, the, the Greek word for um, power is dunamis. Dunamis. And that becomes the root word for our English word dynamite. Can, can you imagine one of those times you see um, an, an explosion that takes place, say, in a mine or on a mountainside, and they put dynamite into a hole, and, and, the, and they set off that charge, and there's this vast explosion of energy and of power, and that mountain crumbles. That's power. And I want to tell you, my friends, God wishes to exercise his power through you and through us, if we will but let him. It's an amazing thing that God who is called God Almighty, can operate his power in us, his church. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, New Living Translation again says this, I also pray, uh, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, I, I also pray that you will understand, do you understand it? But I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It's for us. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Understand that? The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that overcame the power of evil and sin and death. And that's a mighty power in this world. It doesn't compare to God's power, but it's a mighty power. That same power which brought Jesus back to life dwells in you. Right? It ought to blow your mind. It ought to. That somehow... What, in the way that God worked then, somehow he can work that in me? I want to ask you the question. 
and I want you to be completely honest with yourself in this. Have you ever experienced that happening? And secondly, if, if you haven't, do you want it to happen? You see, this is why God has gifted us, given the spiritual gifts that, that, that we might encounter the reality and the mighty working of God in and through our lives and through our church. You see, think of the power of Jesus. You know, Jesus did incredible things, right? He's able to speak and he impacted lives incredibly, remarkably. People's eternities were transformed because of his words. God's power operated. He was able to heal people who were blind and who were lame so that they could see and so that they could walk. He raised the dead. I could go on. You probably know most of the stories. I think about the apostles, Paul and Peter and others. They prayed for people and they were well. One, you know, walked past uh, a, a, a man who was sick on the ground and just because his shadow touched the man, that man was healed. God's power exercised through Peter, I believe. You know the truth? Actually, it wasn't the power of Peter, and it wasn't even the power of Jesus. It was the power of the Holy Spirit of God operating through both of them. In the baptism of Jesus, what happened? The Spirit of God descended like a dove and empowered him for the ministry that was before him. And the same Holy Spirit can empower you to do powerful things for God. What do we need? We need willingness. We need faith to step out into ministry. We need the courage to risk to see if God indeed will show up and do mighty things in us so that when we serve according to our giftedness, my friends, God will work. We need to embrace the spirit of power. That's a small s, by the way. The spirit of boldness, the spirit of confidence, so that in the end, the power of God flows through us as individuals and as a church in order to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Lives changed, world changed. That's number one. The second thing that's contrary to the spirit of fear is the spirit of love. <clears throat> love. And that comes to us, if you would, uh, from God, and it causes us to ask the question, why serve according to our giftedness? That's the context in which Peter, uh, sorry, Timothy is being addressed here. You know, why we serve? <clears throat> we serve because of love for God and for people, to honor God, to do his will, and to bless the lives of other people. And I want to say to you, this ought to be our motivation. I don't know why you're here today. I guess that's why I asked the question. But I, if you are serving God in any particular way, what is your motivation to do what you do? That's what God really cares about, by the way. You know, what's your motivation? What's the heart that you have behind this? So many times, and this won't be a surprise to a lot of people, it's because we think we should serve, and we serve out of obligation. I'm supposed to serve, so I will. I have just become so sick and tired of that rationale. It's old and it's boring, and it should have nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Because, my friends, our hearts are to be set on fire for the things of God so that we serve and we do what we do, not out of obligation, but out of love. God has given us a spirit of love in order that we might serve according to our giftedness effectively and powerfully for him. Never let obligation be your motivation. Do what you do to love God, to partner with God, to experience his presence, to enjoy life with God, to be faithful, yes, with the gifts that he's provided to us, to experience his power. And I'd say love for people. There's a message in this. Everyone is filled, who is filled with the spirit of God can deeply bless the lives of other people. That's you. It's me. 
Now let me say this. If you are not serving, if you're, if you're in that place, if you're Christ's, if you believe in him, and, 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 and if the spirit of God has gifted you as he has, if you are not serving out of love other people, there's something wrong. So says the Bible. Is there a jolt happening in the church right now in some people's lives? You know, can you see the intention of God in this? Every single one of his people serving other people to bless other people. The potential is huge. It's remarkable. It's beautiful. <clears throat> it is significant. My friends, I want to tell you, some people, because of some of the people in this church, depending on giftness, will come to believe in Jesus, and their eternity will change. <laughs> I'm told three little kids last Sunday gave their hearts to Jesus in the, in the simplicity of faith, of their faith. And eternity's changed. Isn't that incredible? Who did that? Effective Sunday school teacher, children's minister? No, the Spirit of God did that. Some people here who are gifted can bring the love and the comfort and the peace of God into the lives of those who are struggling deeply and hurting. People with the gift of mercy can come along and they, and they serve and they love and they care for and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes and the comfort and the peace of God descends upon the life of, say, someone who is grieving. Who, who does that? It's not the person. It's the Spirit of God and it happens and they are blessed. They are loved. You know, there, there are people in this church who are gifted with the gift of intercession and for some reason God has enabled and empowered them to pray in a way that is of greater effectiveness than everybody else and they pray and they trust God and all of a sudden their prayers are answered and people are blessed you know I, I could go on and on I did a fair bit of this last week so I don't want to kind of you know take that beyond the reality but think again about the situation of, of, of Timothy and his church it is the church of Ephesus actually and, and God Paul comes along and said you gotta preach the truth and it's Timothy preached the truth. People's minds were open to see and understand. We trust. Don't really hear about that after the fact. And all these false teachings fade away so people know the reality of the gospel of Christ and believe it and live in it. You know, um, we're having this, this meeting uh, of people who might be interested, and it's just an investigating meeting to come together to potentially go to Nicaragua. If you go to Nicaragua, I hope you serve according to your giftedness. Because as you do, you know what God will do? He will work through you to bless people according to your giftedness. You know, I think about our ministry downtown. For those of you who might, maybe aren't aware, but the other, other pastor in our church, Joyce, whom I prayed for today, she's giving great leadership downtown. And sometimes up to 50 people come together, including our own volunteers half a dozen to a dozen people and they come into that place and they are fed and they enjoy one another and they're taught about Jesus and you know what? God shows up and God moves through those who are serving according to their gifts and people are beginning to encounter and believe in Jesus so that their lives might be made whole. That's God's will, you know, that those people be loved. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. I hope you're hearing that. It just doesn't poof. God works through his people. That's why he gifts us to do the things that he calls us to do. I think about children's ministry, I've mentioned youth ministry. Um, so many other ways. Our healing care ministry, which is just really beautifully developing, 
You know, there's so many people, myself included, actually so many people, all of us have deep wounds in our lives. And truth be told, it's those deep wounds which we often experience in childhood which just produce all the dysfunction in our lives, and all the crazy emotional experiences we have and that we struggle with. And it's only when God by his spirit moves through those who are gifted that that, that wounding can be, be healed and we can be restored to believe what is true, not to believe the lie of the enemy. And people are being made whole. That's an amazing thing. And it's not a bunch of people who like the idea. It's the Spirit of God who is working through people who are gifted. Are you seeing what I'm talking about here? You know, we can play church or we can enter into that which God has designed for us as a church and see the power of God move. I hope you're here today in part because you want to experience the reality and the power and the beauty and the love of God. Not to hear lovely people singing songs and a nice little sermon. The, the, the day of that way of doing church is slowly fading. No, it's quickly fading. <laughs> that kind of church won't exist. It is this kind of church where the Spirit of God is present and powerfully at work. Life groups, I'm not going to go on any farther, but I hope every person in the life group knows their gifts and exercises it within their little community of faith. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're a leader, lead. If you're a mercy person, give comfort. If you're an intercessor, pray. I want to tell you, my friends, through you, God will love his people and others who are beyond. As we are built up internally, we go out to love according to our gifting. So God gives us a spirit of power, and he gives us a spirit of love, and he also gives us a spirit of self-discipline. I want to take a minute with this one. This is kind of fun. What is self-discipline? Think of a parent who, any parent who has to discipline their children when they're really young. It's an external discipline which hopes to change the behavior of little children generally to become right and good. Now, I'm not going to tell you who. I have to tell you it's not anyone close to me, but someone I know. And this little girl was probably about five years old and had two younger brothers. And it was the funniest thing in the world to see because whenever she got annoyed at them, you know what she would do? She would make a fist and she would pop him in the face, just like, poof. It was funny. I mean, it's terrible, right? But it was funny. <laughs> That's okay when you're three or four. But that's not okay 20 years later. And a parent has to speak into that and say, honey, that's, that's not how we do it. If you're frustrated, I want you to talk. And, and, and you try to lead, lead a child from something that is really inappropriate by exercising an exper external discipline in their lives so that they will experience a movement from external discipline in terms of how they behave to an internal discipline where they know and they choose a different way. A different way. So that when a person is angered in their 20s, for example, or frustrated, they can choose to deal with that ang anger and frustration without violence. And the goal is for people internally of themselves to choose what is right and good and how they live. And how does all this work with spiritual gifting? Well, we need self-discipline in our lives in order to live in the way that is right and good and beautiful and true live in the way that God calls us to live. You see, there's so many things that we do naturally, and I'm not going to spend a long time on this. It's so simple. You're all going to get this almost instantly, but we do so much in life naturally without particular thought. We don't exercise discipline. We just do it. How many of you have been watching a lot of hockey lately? Two hands. Are you kidding me? Come on, put up your hand really high. A lot of hockey. Baseball. Keep the hands up. Baseball. Basketball, 
it's really easy to sit in front of a screen. And if I were to ask, you know, how many, how many younger people here spend a lot of time in front of a, a computer or, or, or a, an iPad or a telephone, like a lot of time, a lot of hands would go up if we were all honest. And even as adults, we do this. We do that without working at it, right? It's, it's intriguing. It attracts us. That's the reality. How, how, about, how about people who um, just love to have fun? Does anybody here really work hard at socializing and having fun? You know philosophically what this is called when, when we give ourselves to that in excess? Hedonism. It doesn't sound really good, does it? <laughs> Living for fun and pleasure, hedonism. A lot of people do it. You don't work hard at that. You enjoy your friends. You like having fun. You go do it. No, no self-discipline involves. just like, poof, just flows out of us, right? A lot of people love to work a lot. Works, none, none of these things are bad in themselves. But sometimes that's just like a natural inclination for some people. They live to work. They don't work to live. They live to work. They love it. You know, why are people laughing? Huh? I don't know. It's natural for us. I could go on and on, all the sports, golf, and lawn bowling, <laughs> skeet shooting. My brother's a skeet shooter. I didn't know such things actually happened on regular. I thought it was in Downton Abbey only, you know. <laughs> but he goes skeet shooting. And these things aren't hard to do. But here's the problem. When it leaves no time, no focus, no energy, my friends, no heart for doing what God has created us to do so that we might love people to see the power of God flow so that transformation comes into individual lives and into our world. That's the problem. See, the Bible says we have to discipline ourselves to do what is right and good so that we can do what is best, so that we can do what becomes absolutely awesome because God shows up and he uses me somehow mysteriously, literally miraculously, because his spirit moves through my life to impact the lives of other people powerfully and in love. That's not going to happen without self-discipline. That's not going to happen until we sit back and we, uh, listen to me, we abandon the undisciplined life to do what makes a difference for God in eternity. I want to tell you, when you encounter that reality, that's, that's better than watching a lot of hockey or skeet shooting. It is, because you're being caught up in what God is doing in this world, and it's a beautiful, miraculous, and wonderful thing. See, in the end, we, if we choose, if we kind of gear our lives in this direction, we all get to participate in God's action in this world. Think about it. To see his will done, to make a difference in life, to bless people, to see the kingdom come in power and in love. Paul says to this young man, Timothy, don't let fear rule your life. No, it's not of God. Don't let the enemy win. Go and make it happen because God needs you to make a difference. Take a step of faith. Face the fear. Overcome the fear. Take the risks that are required and watch, Timothy. Watch what I will do through you. You know, we're not very far away from the fall. September. I, I hate to say it, but we're in June, right? I want you to think about the fall, and I want you to ask yourself right now for a few weeks, how will I organize my life come September? What am I going to give myself to? Am I going to fan into flame the gift of God that is within me? 
Am I going to let that coal lie dormant? Still a little smoke rising from it, but no flame bursting up. I want you to remember, my friends, God did not give you the spirit, a spirit of fear or timidity, but he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And he wishes to use you to accomplish significant things for his purposes. I want to read to you our mission statement as we conclude. And it is this. Your elders, most of whom sit before you, have worked long and hard at mission statements and vision statements. We have sought God, and we have come to this. It is our, our, our purpose. You know, we exist to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, and then participate in God's life-transforming story as we serve at home and around the world. See, that... Uh, living the story title that's before you every single Sunday, we're called to live the story. We're called to get caught up in what God is doing. Can you see how that's more important than anything else? Anything else? We can live the story at work, and we can live the story in our neighborhoods, and we can live the story downtown, and we can live the story when we gather together for various purposes here on Sunday and through the week. We gotta live the story because we get to participate in God's life-transforming story. His purpose is to change this world so that the kingdom of God might exist on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus prayed. So, my friends, I'm here to ask you about what will you do with your life and what you want for it <clears throat> and whether you truly are committed to the reality of the way of God's kingdom as is described in First, Second Timothy chapter 1. Let me just finish by saying Every single person who calls Jesus Lord, God will use you, not just a little bit, but powerfully. As you give yourself to serving according to your gifting, not your idea, his. Just do what he has called you to do. Do what he has gifted you to do. Again, if you haven't figured that out, I hope. My plan is all the life groups in the fall will study this. Where's that Rick Mose guy? guy you got to get on this, man. I'm your boss. Get on it. Okay, we'll see what happens. And I hope all men's ministry impact and I hope sisterhood, the women's ministry here and all other expressions of IPC will take time to teach people and help people discover what their gifts are if they don't know them. And then to realign how they function in order to see the power of God flow in order to let God's people love one another and love others in this world. To allow people the opportunity to enter into self-discipline that they might live, choose to live the way God has designed them to live rather than the way they might live otherwise. I'm calling every single person here who calls Jesus Lord to this life. I'm challenging you by the authority of the word of God to discover how it is that this church and how your life can be powerfully used to make a difference for him. Let's pray. Lord, again, I think of these people gathered before you, <clears throat> here to love you and to worship you. But Lord, everyone who knows Christ is, is called to serve you. Sometimes, Lord, these people 
some of them have no clue what that means yet, but I pray that you'd lead them into it. Show them what their gifting is so they can serve in that way. Lord, others who know the gifts, I just pray you'll empower them and they'll use them. And Holy Spirit, I pray like at Pentecost, you would be poured out in our church so that through your people, the world would be deeply and profoundly impacted and eternity changed. Lord God, you form your church to build your kingdom. And we pray that we might operate according to your design and according to your will for your glory, for your honor. God, this we pray in Jesus' name.